Welcome to Churches Changing. I'm Beth Estock, your host for today, and I'm delighted to welcome Reverend Dr. Alan Buck, pastor of Great Spirit United Methodist Church in Portland, Oregon. He's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and he's also the director of the Circle of Indigenous Ministries for the Greater Northwest Area of the United Methodist Church. And he also happens to be a dear friend of mine that I respect deeply for his grounded wisdom and his capacity to engage in difficult conversations and questions. And boy, are we going to get in it today. Welcome, Alan, to Church is Changing. Hi, Beth. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation, Alan. We've known each other for quite a long time. Wow, like, I don't know how many years, but you were serving in another conference, serving as a New Start pastor, and then you came out to the Pacific Northwest and engaged in a totally different kind of ministry. So tell us a little bit about yourself and this new context in which you find yourself in Portland. Little about myself. Uh, well, I am an ordained elder in the Methodist Church and a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. And I've been involved in ministry with the Methodist Church for over 20 years now and did start to you know, somewhat specialize in congregational development, community development, and uh, moved into church planting. That's where we met, Beth. Uh, Trey was my coach. One of your coaches was my coach, a friend of mine that I went to seminary with. And I read your book and ran into you at some conferences. But then, yeah, you were a part of our discernment to come here. We met up even right as I'd been invited to come here to do some more congregational development. But it was sort of a unique situation in the Methodist Church where I was invited to decide where I wanted to serve. And Wilshire United Methodist Church was the only Native fellowship here, and it was sort of on the list to be closed down. It was a small group. And so when we heard about that, that sounded like a perfect fit, and it has been. I've been the pastor here now for about six years, and the church has changed a lot and grown a lot. And yeah, it's been a great pleasure, one of the privileges of my ministry to be able to serve here at Great Spirit. It's a unique United Methodist Church and something that I'm really proud to be a part of. Tell us a little bit about what a typical worship service would look like at Great Spirit. I think most people who've been involved in liturgical kinds of worship services or Methodist services anyway would recognize that there's a there's a sort of order to it, you know, there's a sort of flow to it. And yet there's really only one, usually one congregational kind of song. They're not hymns. The music, I don't really know what's gonna happen with the music each Sunday, but there's usually a big drum and singers there, sometimes flute. But you would recognize that similar order of, you know, welcoming and praying and music and a scripture and a brief message, an offering, blessing, and th those things. You would recognize what's happening. But it's a very different, I think, for people that, well, have never been here or spent much time with Native people. It's flexible, there's an order to it, but it's flexible, I guess I, I would say. So you never know. Somebody else there might have something to say, and a lot of times they do, and there's room there for kind of everyone. 
We sit in a circle too. That might be different for people. It's a very open concept. That's one of the things we change to taking out all the pews. And we can move the chairs around, but usually we're in a big circle. And then there are some other seats around the outside. So you might see like two or three circles with the drums sort of up at, there's still a, a big altar and kind of a stage space that's part of the circle too. That's where the drum is. And I usually sit there, but when people are speaking, they come down and are in that circle with everyone. Yeah. I wonder what people would experience at the worship service. The new Bishop here was here, came this last Sunday. I'm curious, you know, I'd invite him to be critical and curious to what his experience was like, but it seemed like he really enjoyed it. And I love it. It, uh, yeah, I love it. So you came in and there was kind of a more white Anglo uh, inherited church experience there. And what was the journey like for you to reconfigure, reimagine a more contextualized experience? Well, you know, as soon as I arrived there, I had ideas about a bunch of things that I thought needed to change, but I didn't change very many of them. I think we spent the first year and a half or two years really uh, praying about, talking about, discerning what our values and our mission were. It was such a small group, and it's not just Native people. There were a, a lot of allies or people who thought they might want to be allies with us there at the beginning. So we had to get everyone together and pray about it. Once we got clear about some of our shared values and affirmed that with one another and about our mission, who we were trying to serve, what we thought we would be becoming, really that pushed a lot of the changes. Like uh, we changed the name to Great Spirit. I mentioned taking out all the pews and changing the space and the and the floor. Really, a lot of those changes were, yeah, not just decisions that I made. It was more like uh, we made decisions about what we wanted to be about or the direction that we wanted to head. And then that determined some of the things that we needed to do, not just with the space, but with the service itself. Um, so, like I said, we're not really doing many hymns. We do around Christmas time, you know, but what I noticed in the community was the Native people were not singing those songs. They don't know those songs. They don't care about those songs. But we all, some of us grew up with those songs and the the allies and some of the people that had been there before, they wanted to sing those songs. And there was even a choir. But some of those things just didn't seem to connect with the people that were coming around or with the values and the sort of emerging identity. So we continue to listen mm. and make changes. And there's still a bunch of other things that I would like to change. But it's sort of driven, it's driven more by the people and by the kind of communal, you know, what the Spirit's doing with the group. Would you say that that, <clears throat> driven by the people and what the Spirit's doing, was a shift from how you were trained to be a change agent or new church start planter? Is that a different kind of approach? There definitely was a change in me from what I was first learning when I came into church planting. You know more about it than I do, but my experience of it, I had several coaches before I came to Weird Church and to you all. <laughs> and that was a more kind of colonial model. 
You know, we studied demographics to see where places were going to grow. And then we kind of went into those spaces in some ways already with an identity and invited people in to become a Methodist church or whatever it was. And so I think that the church plant that I was doing in Oklahoma was a little more relational, but here at Great Spirit, it's like that times a thousand, you know, it's just purely driven by the relationships and almost all of the energy and resources goes into the relational focus. And like I said, then that drives the change of the community. So what are some of the things besides that, that you had to unlearn from this kind of uh, inherited colonial manifest destiny approach to church planting? Well, I think there's examples of things like what I was talking about. I remember early in church planting, we spent so much money on marketing, Mm. just like mass mailing the community where we wanted to be with, you know, nice glossy postcards about what we were doing and, and how they could come be a part of that. Things like that are just would be meaningless here. And in a way, even focusing just on the, the neighborhood is sort of, meaningless too. I mean, it's important. We want to have good relationships with our neighbors, but serving native people in an urban setting, most of the people that I serve can't afford to live in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I can't afford to live in this neighborhood. So some kind of mass mailing, I don't know how you would. So some of those things just were kind of meaningless. Another thing that was uh, my first church plant, I felt like as the church planter and starting without a community that I felt a lot of weight on myself to kind of produce at a high level, this worship experience for people in it. I say weight. It just seemed like they were, had bet a lot on me and yeah, I wasn't sure that I don't think I always did that. Well, I know that I didn't and I just don't think it in the end was a very good model. You know, the colonizing model is about, is still about taking. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the deep things that I've learned more and more is that it's so much more important to be giving back. I'd say decolonizing. So that's our theology, the way that we approach people. Yeah, whether or not we think we have it all figured out and, you know, or spending energy just trying to convert people or indoctrinate people, I don't spend time on those things anymore. So, Alan, given that, what are those core values that you have embraced at Great Spirit that inform your way of being in the world that's different? I'm not sure they're different values than what many of us carried into the space, but people talked about them in different ways and getting clear about that. We came to agree that our core values are love, spirituality, tradition, and connectedness. Mm. So... Those four for us sort of sum up, you know, you could probably put it all into love, you know, but kind of summarize or kind of capture and open up at the same time what we're about. Because we have people coming from lots of different tribes and backgrounds and some church people and some not church people. And so getting together and agreeing, what are the things, you know, where is the common ground? What is the most important things? What are the most important things that bring us together? And that move us out into the community and like 
What's the spirit calling us to be about? So those are sort of everywhere now printed in our bulletin. And we, most people there can tell you, I think what the, what our core values are. So they're not colonizing type of core values either, or sometimes they may have become that for some other people, but for us, we're not trying to, like I said, uh, convert people or get people to believe what we believe or even to join necessarily. So I love this because it's like, okay, these core values, all of us could wrap our arms around those core values, but it's how does that get contextualized in your setting? And it sounds to me like the context is more of a waiting upon the spirit, more of a sense of deep listening so how we love is mutual respect, honoring one another, and trusting in, in the movement of the spirit. I think so. I also find in this community a willingness to try and tell the truth about our histories and, and to be a, we try to be a trauma-informed space because so many of the people we serve have been impacted by generations upon generations of trauma and the patterns of trauma. So what does that look like? I think it does look like a sort of moving a little slower, Mm. more listening. I would say it looks like grace Mm. in action. I would say a lot of the people that are around and that tend to kind of stick around, they kind of care much less about what we say and care more about what we do. So it looks like a, you know, if you came to great spirit, it's a very hospitable environment. Uh, Everybody's welcome. And we live into that together. There's almost always gifts for people and there's always food there. And again, the worship service itself doesn't have a high requirement of, you know, I think anyone could come there and participate So when you went there, did you find that? Or did that have to be cultivated, this sense of this is a safe space? It's still being cultivated. You know, Hmm. it's still as the community continues to grow. Where since we've come back from COVID, we're about where we were when COVID happened. So we have some momentum and there's always visitors there and different people there. So as we continue to grow, we're living into that more and more. But yeah, we're learning together. Mm-hmm. I find this fascinating because a lot of times when I'm coaching people that are doing out-of-the-box expressions, for me, what I'm hearing is the most important thing is actually holding the container, like creating the container of safety and security so that people's souls can come out and play. And it sounds like you've discovered that organically that that's one of your key roles there as the pastor. I think so. And as a development person, you know, I feel like we created a, together an identity. This identity kind of emerged of great spirit along with, like I said, values and the purpose and the name and the logo and those kind of things that they're not superficial. They all sort of align. But what it does is it kind of moves you out in this direction, you know, it sets this trajectory for the identity. And what I would say is great spirit is in a place now where 
we can live into this identity for the rest of our, you know, ministry. It has that alignment, that integrity, and we have a good relationship with the Native people around here and around Oregon and beyond, too, or we're starting to, you know, be of service much further out. And when people encounter us, there's alignment, you know, we with where we spend our money, with how we behave, with uh, the community itself. And, yeah, it's a container for something that's becoming, and I think they can become forever. Yeah, it, it is it is counter-colonizing. I can even sense it in your cadence. You, you bring a cadence to a space that is just more grounded, more open, a little bit slower so that there's this possibility of listening and not this frenetic kind of do, do, do. It's, it is a gracious encounter, even with you, Alan. Thanks for that. It's been a real learning for me. It's still a growing edge for me. It's not what I was taught to do in seminary we're early in church planting and so it takes practice and at the same time i find it very liberating and as a pastor too i feel like it takes some of the pressure off some of those places where yeah i used to feel that weight i don't feel that anymore it feels a lot freer and more shared and less dependent upon me, yeah, and I definitely see the spirit involved in all of the things we've been talking about, moving all of this uh, along, inviting us to follow and become. Yeah, so there's this dance that I'm picking up. There's this, okay, this is how this is what I learned of how to do this, and then this is what I'm discovering. And there's this integration that's happening, and I'm wondering if you're able to kind of see that and name that as, okay, these, this is what I bring with me. This is what I'm learning. And this is how it's being played out. You know how learning goes sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes uh, hard headed and don't learn so easy. Or sometimes I have to learn the lessons, the same lessons over and over again, <laughs> at just kind of deeper level and go back to my, you know, way of my more kind of natural way of doing things. And uh, so it hasn't been easy. You know, there's been a lot of sometimes chaos and anxiety in those uh, learnings. But I think we're at a place right now where, I don't know, it feels sort of in balance, I would say. I'm not sure if that got to your question, but there is a, a, I still feel like I'm learning a lot for sure. So tell us a little bit about what is your role as director of the Circle of Indigenous Ministries? Well, like I said, I came here continuing to do development, and that tends to be the way that I view most things. And yeah, hopefully not in a colonial way, but still, you know, I like to see things progressing and plans and goals being made and us uh, stretching ourselves and what it looks like now as the director of the circle, that puts me in touch with uh, ministries, native ministries all around the greater Northwest and now the whole Western United States, really. But I work primarily Alaska, Washington, Oregon, 
Idaho. There are six six active Native ministries and several other development or friendships that are emerging with tribes or ministries that haven't been focused on Native ministry. So as a director, I'm I'm sort of involved in development in all of those places and coaching too. You know, I'm walking with those leaders, trying to help develop leaders, encouraging them to try to do things well, like what I was describing at Great Spirit. Get real clear about what your purpose is. You know, clarify what all the passions are in the room and sum that up in what your shared values are. You know, take time to listen to one another and focus in on serving Native people. Become a trauma-informed space and listen and do what you say you're going to do and be hospitable and live into it. So that's the way I think of it is I'm sort of a resource for development in Native ministries all around greater Northwest and to a certain extent in the Western jurisdiction of the Methodist church. So that resourcing sometimes means funding. That resourcing means we've provided grant writer for all those ministries. And we don't have a whole lot of resources to share. Sometimes I'm one of the primary resources. You know, I'm available to consult and go there and visit and, yeah, listen and, you know, try to encourage and help and support. So what has surprised you in this ministry? Oh, well, there's, there have been a lot of surprises along the way. I talked about the spirit leading us, but many of the things that we've gotten involved in were clearly because of the spirit and the interconnectedness that we have. I sense that in sort of, I'd say, synchronicity of events and things like that happening. That's been a rewarding, fun surprise. One of the big surprises to me, too, has been the amount of support that we've had from the institutional church. We've had great support. Pretty much everything that we asked for, they've been willing to help us with or including starting the circle of indigenous ministries, but also being invited into conversations about closed down churches where there's a tribal presence or there used to be and being invited by the institution to explore what might happen there. In some cases, those have become kind of land back situations and friendships with the tribe, like in Wallawa with the Nez Perce mm-hmm. and in other places, like in Chiloquin, those have become unique partnerships that are still ongoing where we've helped to create 501c3s and help them do what they wanted to do and done things that the church would not normally do and, and embrace things as development that often the church just wouldn't recognize as development. So, again, I, I, I see in this conversation there's a lot of integration of taking like the what you've learned and how you've practiced, you know, doing the questioning, the visioning, the core value, the setting, the direction and the goal, and then the opening up. And, you know, it might not be as directed or maybe ego directed, but more of a trusting and the unfolding, which is beautiful. I think that that's how we're going to be all called to live into this new phase of stepping into the unknown of a post-Christendom culture. But 
what, uh, what are you questioning in all this? What are your big questions, your big curiosities? I still have big questions about whether or not it's a good idea to even try to do Christian ministry with her four native people. Let's go there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go there, Alan. What's that question about? I think built into many of our sacred texts still is that colonizing kind of worship of the war god and a lot of energy spent on who's in and who's out kind of conversations, who can be part of the community and who's excluded from that. Even in the words in the gospel sometimes of Jesus, um, you find that in conversations about everything, you know, slavery and these other things that are just really problematic for developing a beloved community and loving people and things that have been used so horrifically and caused so much trauma Mm -hmm. that in practice, the development, you know, doesn't always look like great spirit. You know, some of these places where we are, the trauma is so deep that we don't have a relationship to build on. We're either starting over or we may need to let it go altogether in order to do a more right thing. I really have always wrestled with this idea that, you know, there was only one way and it was Jesus. And uh, I don't know who the listeners of your podcast are, but I get a lot of grief about these things, you know, uh, because, well, that's the way that we talk and live at Great Spirit anyway. You know, we're just not, I don't think that our way is the only way. I know that there are cultures and traditions older than the Jesus way. I find that the Jesus way aligns with many of those ways, but I usually can find common ground within many other cultures and traditions. And I tend to emphasize the trust in the Spirit so much that I just trust that God will work all that out, you know, that I just don't get bent out of shape about, yeah, people becoming United Methodist or any of that stuff. Now, I do see people joining. I see people coming to church. I still see some of the same fruit as when I used to. I think it's a little bit slower and it's more authentic, you know? Mm -hmm. It's uh, It's not contrived in that way. It's whatever the Spirit does, you know? If they become open to the Spirit and the Spirit leads them to be follower of Jesus, that's great, you know? And we can talk about that and uh, share in that. But if that's not what they want to do, that's okay with me. They can still be a part of our community in a wholehearted way and still be valued members of uh, yeah, the family of faith. And a lot of times, you know, I feel like I'm learning more from them and from other cultures and elders and other traditions than they're probably gaining from the church church itself, the community, I think they gain a lot from. Yeah, there's this new way of being that I think the Spirit is leading all of us to. There's a there's a transcendence that's being asked of all of us in, as uh, institutional church declines. Like, what is that overarching thing that we can, that, that where we can come together and 
And it sounds like your core values are that overarching focus, you know, love, community, you know, regardless of what you call it. When you think about the essence of the life force of the planet, it's it's love. I think so. I think that's the primary core value. And I usually just say common ground, but I'd studied comparative religion, you know, in school and found a lot of these common denominators or kind of universal, more universal type of spiritual principles that they jive with my experience. And I think the experience of living out one's spirituality, which I usually just call following the spirit, but the experience of that is much more powerful and real than just uh, kind of buying into a particular set of, you know, uh, formula or doctrine. Yeah, or excluding people based on those same kind of criteria. Uh, yeah, all over. And uh, when you talk about being a trauma-informed community, I again think that that's important ministry for all of us in this century. Because, you know, to create those spaces where there is no you're in or you're out, there just is grace and welcome. And, you know, we're going to be focusing on creating safe space for everybody. We need more of those spaces around, you know. Yes. We need a lot more spaces to be trauma-informed and sensitive to many things. But uh, the church, for sure, could become space like that. And it would open itself up to a whole other group of people. It know? certainly would. And it sounds like in your context with Native American folks that this is this is the thing that you're learning and that all of us need to learn. Well, I do think there's a lot that we can learn from Native people. There's a lot of wisdom that they have carried for a long, long time, and that's mostly been excluded as they've been made invisible and treated as just something else or, or whatever, excluded from the conversation. But Native people have a lot to offer. And I think Great Spirit has some of that happening. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about, you know, the, the question of, is this even legit how the church is, is uh, you know, moving in, in this deconstruction and then and this questioning of the colonization of the, the history of manifest destiny and how we're still living that out in our quote-unquote evangelism practices. What is the core passion for you? Why do you do this? What's your deep why? Why are you still in the game? <laughs> I don't know sometimes. <laughs> it depends on which day you, which day you ask me. I find a lot of hope in the church especially in the giving back part. Like I said, that was a surprise to me in the institution to be invited into exploring. I can remember even going back to the trustees and like the district or conference level trustees and saying, are you really sure you're willing to give it away? Like before we get to this part of the conversation, because I'm entering into the conversation with the tribe or whoever, the native people without an agenda, 
and just open to what they might want to do or what would help them. And so that gives me a lot of hope for the church that they said yes and that they let us give back. It doesn't fix all of those things. It's not that it doesn't repair everything, but it seems like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're friends or we're family, we're connected, we want to be in relationship in a good way and we're listening and they're saying we could use this space to start a culturally responsive peer support network or something to be in a position in the church to be able to say okay we can help you do that and then to do it it just really gives me hope for the church to see them aligning their actions with what they say they want to be about. We could do a lot more, but I think that's my why is that that's that sharing, that giving back, that I like the word decolonizing. Mm. You know, to to try to be the church that way. You mentioned like the doctrine of I think you said manifest destiny, you know, doctrine of discovery and even John Wesley and all those people and even still up to now there are many churches that are still colonizing. Mm-hmm. And that have aligned themselves with uh, inst- with different values, consumptive types of values, where they're just part of the machine that's still taking mm-hmm. and taking and taking and taking. Not just in indigenous communities, but I mentioned, you know, like even just studying demographics about where things are going to grow and let's go put ourselves there because those are the people we want to serve, you know, and they're going to help us grow this thing because they want to consume and they want to whatever. So yeah, my values are different. I I hope my values are different than that. And that right now in the church, because I can practice, I can tell you there's hasn't been anything better than giving away a church (laughs) to native people. (laughs) I never experienced anything like that, you know, or thought that I would. It was the best thing that, uh, so that's happened since I've been here. Mm-hmm. And I get invited into more and more conversations about that. I've been able to help other. There are these sort of models of decolonization that emerge or are emerging that then we can share with other institutions, higher education or healthcare or the church or whatever it is, and help them give back too. Fascinating. So I just find, yeah, I find a real value in what I'm learning, what I've been empowered and encouraged to do. And how that can be passed on and perpetuated because I think there's a lot of giving back that needs to be done with indigenous people, but just with everybody Mm -hmm. too. Okay. So here's my last question. How does your work and how would, if you experienced this first and then the church said, Alan, we want you to start a new faith community over here. How would you do it differently? Like I'm asking on behalf of folks that are listening in on this conversation that might be curious about starting a new faith community and what have you learned that can help them in this postmodern time? Starting a brand new faith community, not like uh, coming into anything existing, but more like a what we call like a parachute drop kind of well i don't know if it, somewhere i don't know if it necessarily would be a parachute drop but what would you like even if you were talking with you know the hierarchy and and saying you know the hierarchy saying yeah we need to start something here alan how would you go about doing that 
It depends on who they want to start it for. Honestly, it depends on the context. I still think I would do it more like what I've experienced at Great Spirit. Just telling them like the seasons are going to be longer than you think. Mm. And your expectations of what's going to happen there are not going to be met. Uh, you know, it might exceed that, but it's going to take longer. Going to be slower. It's going to be slower because it's so much more relational. Yeah. You know, and we have to go all in with that. You know, we have to resource that. You can't do that kind of part-time or halfway. Yeah, you've talked about the weight that you felt in Oklahoma. And for anybody starting something new to carry that weight, it's hard to carry that weight and be open to the movement of the spirit at the same time. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, I'm glad we weren't recording everything and putting it all out there on the on video like we are now. <laughs> we did okay. We did okay in Oklahoma with that model, but I learned so much since then, and I feel a lot freer with this way, and I think it's more authentic. I think it's more real, and I think it's meaningful to a different group of people. Mm-hmm. Well, the, probably the 95% that no longer ha- want to have anything to do with church. I know. And so when the district superintendent, well, you know, Erin Martin, when she invited yeah. me out here, she painted this bleak picture of church planting out here, you know, the least religious part of the country and uh, all of that. And that sounded great to me. And then when you add in <laughs> focusing on Native people, you know, people that have a reason not to hang out with us, not to want to have anything to do with us or with the church. It's just that much more sort of risky. And it requires, I think, that longer, Mm -hmm. slower, relational commitment if we really want to be in a relationship or see if we could start a community. But it really, it does depend on where, because I'm thinking of several of the other places where Right now, we need to develop something. I might not be the developer, but I'm helping someone else develop. You know, some of them seem to be full of kind of potential and others, man, you just can't even tell. You know, there's so much work that needs to be done to even get to have a conversation with a handful of people who might want to start a community together. I don't know. I don't know what I'd say to them. It's going to cost more money than you think it will. It's going to take longer than you think it will. It's not going to become what you think it's going to become. It's not going to become what I think it's going to become, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe it will become something better Yeah. than what I think it will become. If we follow the spirit together and we listen to the people on the ground, who knows uh, what could happen. So it's a kind of a way of practicing in whatever place they sent me. In a way, that's what I, not just as a developer, but as a Methodist minister, I think that was one of the things that attracted me to that. I was like, maybe it sounds like ego, but I I thought, yeah, God could use me. They can send me wherever they want to send me, and it'll be okay. You know, God can use me there. That's beautiful. Okay, Alan, the last thing I'd like you to do is just share a blessing for folks that are listening who might be curious about stepping into this new way of being, this deep listening and this coming alongside and trusting in the spirit approach. 
Well, thanks for listening, whoever's out there. And uh, if I can be of service in some way, uh, reach out and uh, let me know. Remember that it's the creator who created us. Jesus is one way uh, teaching us, uh, showing us, guiding us, uh, calling us. And God's great spirit is with us always. So uh, bless you. uh, Go in peace. Hopefully we'll meet in person sometime. And um, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, Beth. Good to be together. Blessings to you all, too. Church is Changing Podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.